Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. If you really want to create a diverse team and you aren't hiring enough engineers, we actually have a solution. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it actually works. And so we started going to companies and then we started getting yes after yes after yes. It was it was wild. Hi, everyone. You're listening to the PDX Executive Podcast, a show about business leaders from Portland and beyond. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, I'm excited. Yes. Can't wait. So we're here at the Treehouse's offices in, in North Portland. And I wanted you to have you on because I'm seeing your name everywhere. <laughs> I guess that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's good in a good way. Like, you know, Business Insider, you're just on Jason and Calcanis' uh, podcast. So yep. uh, you're popping up a lot. Um, first love for you just to start with the origin story of Treehouse, you know, what you guys do, you uh, why you're here in Portland and kind of go from there. Yeah, sure. So, uh, born and raised in Colorado, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, um, and have just one of those great family stories, parents who love me, um, three sisters who are, I'm still friends with, <laughs> um, and love very much and just had a great childhood. And, um, I mean, I'm really grateful for that. Like I continually am looking back on my life and realizing how much privilege I have and how much, you know, how grateful I am for all that. So started off well. Um, and this was, uh, graduated high school in 96. Okay. So just at that time, you know, the web started blowing up, mm-hmm. um, and you started, you know, seeing, um, the dummies books on like how to make a website, right. you know, and everyone's like, what's a website, you know? So I was fascinated by that. Um, I had, we always had a computer in the home, so I was lucky to be exposed to all that. And um, one of the life-changing moments I had was one of my high school teachers said, um, hey, Ryan, there's this thing called code, and you can tell the computer what to do. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, let's do that. And uh, basically learned programming and realized, gosh, this is really creative and fun. And and so when I went to college, the closest thing I could study was computer science because it had the word computer in it. Um, so I chose that and then quickly found out this is not fun. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. I mean, we're doing like super hardcore algorithms right. and designing, you know, um, software systems for Boeing 777. I mean, it was fun, but not like creative projects right you think about the time of the internet right mm -hmm. so it's very early stages too as far as the consumer web so yeah so but you know trucked through it and got done um and then i decided uh i don't know what i don't know Mm -hmm. and i lived in colorado my whole life and i'm going to move to another country Hmm. uh and my parents freaked out and (laughs) i was like well how bad can it be i'm going to be gone for a year um so bought a plane ticket to london and uh, and I always tell people the reason I picked London is because I watched the film Notting Hill, <laughs> and that's a true story. So if you love Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, like it's you know watch it. Um, and so moved over there, got a job as a programmer, okay. basically a web designer, web developer, and then that's where Treehouse was born. It was that moment where uh, I interviewed for a job, and they said, "Well, you know, as long as you can code, you can work here." And, um, so I got a job and then my first day in the job was doing this language I had never heard of. It's called action script. It's old now. Um, and I thought, wait a minute, I didn't learn any of this in my degree. Mm -hmm. It feels like I got a degree for a different job. 
you know, what, what is going on? Mm-hmm. And uh, it felt like I got an electrical engineering degree and I was an electrician. You know, like I'm supposed to be punching holes through a wall and pulling wire, right. not designing electrical systems, you know? And same with computer science. It just, it felt like I was a tradesperson. And I like that, you know, I'm mm-hmm. building things and creating things, but this is not computer science. So at that moment, I just realized something's really wrong with our education system. And, and, and uh, you know, thousands, if not millions of people are being hurt by that. And so the seed was planted at that moment for okay. Treehouse. And then fast forward 10 years, because I met a girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, got married and stayed in England and had two wonderful kids and, and eventually, I decided I'm going to start a company to fix this. Hmm. Um, let's do it. And we started very simply, very small. We bootstrapped it. And you were still back overseas, still in England. Okay. Yeah, still in Bath, England. Um, and you know, we used uh, just a little bit of cash from uh, the business I was running, which was a, uh, a training company that was teaching people how to code, but in person. Hmm. And we thought, let's take this online and make it affordable and accessible. And we launched it and it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. Yeah. So what brought you to Portland? Um, so Treehouse was growing. Um, I think we were up to about 30 employees at that point. Okay. We had raised a little bit of venture capital. Um, and it was just clear we got to be in the U.S. You know, I can't run this company remotely from Bath, England. Right. Uh, it was just, it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we knew we got to move. Um, most of our employees are in the U.S. And then we basically put together a spreadsheet. Um, average, <laughs> average rainfall, you know, walkability score, um, you know, average uh, price for a house, like all that, wow. and chose purely on you know quality of living. Wow. Um, Had you been here before? No. Or? So we we watched YouTube videos, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we thought Portland looks pretty great. Yeah, and we visited once. You know, what we, like let's go see it. Let's try to find a house, mm-hmm. and uh, we moved, and it, we showed up with a a crate of stuff and had no furniture and it was insane. I love that story. And what, one of the things I'm interested in, what did your investors say at that time about Portland? You know, there was some pushback, you know, Hey, this isn't Silicon Valley. You know, why are you going there? But I just knew that the talent war was coming Mm -hmm. and that no one would be able to find talent in Silicon Valley. And it was foolish to basically go and build a business somewhere where you knew you would immediately be fighting, you know, companies, that have, you know, $750 billion in market cap. I mean, how can you win? Right. And, and also how can we afford, you know, any sort of life that we want there? And it, it just had all those signs. And so we said, you know, we, we do have a remote culture, so everybody can work from home at mm-hmm. Treehouse, and we don't need to be anywhere. Mm-hmm. So let's be somewhere where we want to be. Yeah. And I can always hop on a flight and be in, in San Francisco sure. by 8 a.m. if I need right. to. Nerd so. bird down there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, let's talk about a little bit about your products. You mentioned to me before recording, you're launching a couple of things. Mm. If you, maybe talk about it, but more broadly, let's talk about the future of education. Mm. You know, I have a three-year-old, mm. and my wife and I constantly talk about, like, how every time he goes to college, it's, that's going to be antiquated, right? Yeah. They're, they're, you know, we're predicting 50% of colleges are, are literally going to disappear. Mm-hmm. So this is where I think we're going. Um, we're moving to a model where companies hire from their neighborhood. 
literally people that live in their neighborhood because what they can do is they can invest in that talent right as it comes out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can um, then hire that talent as apprentices mm-hmm. and then those apprentices can be grown into what would traditionally be a, a college graduate. Mm-hmm. And then that talent can then be grown you know, to level two, three, four, five mm-hmm. and beyond. And so instead of fighting for college talent, um, you are essentially growing your own talent from your neighborhood. And uh, we're doing this right now. This is the future of the talent pipeline, mm-hmm. the future of education. I, I think all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we do advanced trade jobs. Right. We do not do you know, college-level tasks. We are building complex projects on the fly in a very collaborative environment where the tooling changes every 18 months minimum Mm -hmm. like that's just can't college is irrelevant now and so and then you layer on student debt on top of that it it really doesn't make any sense but i'm not anti-college i'm just pro job Mm -hmm. right so what we did initially was the thinking well let's train consumers how to code and then they can get jobs okay right so we know there's a huge uh skills gap you know we're gonna have 1.4 million new jobs by 2020 we're only going to have 400,000 computer scientists, so we have a million-person hole. Well, where's that going to come from? So the thinking was, let's train consumers how to code, and they'll figure it out. Um, it turns out that's not quite right. Hmm. What you actually have to do is go to the companies and say, you know all those open jobs that you have, and you know how you are only hiring white males? Well, there's a better way. If you simply invest in creating talent, you can get an amazingly diverse team from your neighborhood that has exactly the skills you need, mm-hmm. is very loyal, uh, and the whole thing is sustainable. It's actually profitable for right. you. Well, and, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. I'm curious. So, if you go to you know your corporate clients or pitching this, what has the reception been? I guess in the early yeah. days versus now. Now, um, well, let me tell you a story of of how this came to be. Okay. So, you know, six years, we, we, uh, em- empowered consumers to learn how to code and get jobs. We've, you know, created 850,000 software engineers. Um, but then, uh, I signed something called the diversity pledge here in Portland for, for an organization called tech town. Mm-hmm. I believe in diversity, equity, inclusion, of course, mm-hmm. like it's a moral issue. So I signed it. Yep. Believe. And then, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and th- and realized my company is are mostly white males. Mm. So if I actually believe this, then what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm no different. I'm no different than Facebook and and Google, which are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I basically created a side project, you know, mm-hmm. and I decided I'm going to learn and I'm going to fix my company. Um, I don't, I'm not going to try to fix tech. I'm not going to try to fix, you know, systemic racism or sexism. I'm just going to try to fix my own company. And so I went and learned as much as I possibly could. So I read books like the new Jim Crow. Mm. I listened to a podcast called seeing white. I watched 13th on Netflix and I interviewed over 50 people from underrepresented groups. Mm. And, and what I learned is, was shocking and sad. So I've, as a white male who's cis, I'm not, you know, I'm about as majority privilege as you get. Hmm. I'm tall, I'm (laughs) abled, you know, I mean, I, it really, it's like, okay, I was, 
I believe that there was equal opportunity in America, and it turns out there is definitely not. And that was almost like soul-destroying to me, to realize the America that I thought was real isn't. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm hiring all white males is because they're rising to the top, and they look like me. And so how do I... How do I change that? I mean, I can't change systemic racism, mm -hmm. at least not quickly, sure. right? Um, so it was pretty simple, actually. We, we basically listened to a lot of people, and they said, Ryan, uh, our community of black and brown individuals, our community of women, we do not trust you, and we don't trust tech. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody looks like us. Nobody is succeeding like us. Right. And anybody inside that industry is constantly getting harassed or discriminated against like why why would we ever want to work there mm -hmm. um so that was like step one okay people don't actually want to work in this industry or they don't even know they can so it's not that they we they they you know we post a job and then we get lots of applications they're never going to apply so that was like big realization one so what we did is we went to the boys and girls club okay they literally are down the street yeah. here on mlk And we said, we want to invest in your community. We believe in your community. We need them. Um, this isn't charity. Mm -hmm. um, and it took a while to build trust. Mm. You know, I mean, they basically said, well, we get a lot of tech companies or companies who want to exploit our community. Like, sure. we don't know about this. But after about six months of trust building, they finally said, okay, we believe you. Mm. And, and we said, we want to invest in your community provide the education through a scholarship and then hire them as apprentices. Okay. Um, and timeline wise, like what timeline, uh, uh, the whole a, thing's about a year. Year. Right. Okay. So, um, they said, okay, we'll, we'll tell our community. And then trust was imparted on us through them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, they gathered, um, an excited group of people that said, well, we've never been told we could work in tech, but <laughs> maybe we'll consider this. Um, and then, uh, We explained at the end, we'll hire you as an apprentice and we'll pay you at least 55K plus benefits hmm. starting. And that's no experience and no job. And then what we'll do is we'll grow you from there to our entry level, right? So we'll actually give you a path to success. And then two more hard lessons that we learned. Number, the, number two is uh, it's, it's naive to believe that people from exploited groups can um, take time off work to go to college to go to a boot camp, mm -hmm. you know, they are barely getting by. Right. Right. And so the education piece has to be essentially like a night school, mm -hmm. something they can do at home at night. So it's an online night school. And the beauty is we have that. So, yeah. so we actually have a school that yeah. I'm like, Oh, we can be the middle piece. That's great. So we use our own curriculum for that piece. And then we support the individuals with a lot of mentorship. Okay. Um, we provide laptops and broadband and then, They get through the program at six months, two hours a day. Um, the whole time they're holding their job at, you know, a retail shop or at Amazon Fulfillment or, you know, um, working construction or, or really any job like that. And then we onboard them as apprentices and we run a really tightly controlled playbook okay. that's designed to get people from we traditionally people hire a software engineer level one or SE one. And what we basically have figured out is we create SE zero software mm -hmm. engineer level zero and we run a six month playbook and it gets them from se zero to se one. Okay. So th this is why no one can do this because they don't know how to hire talent like that. Right. It's, it's your, you're walking the walk, you're doing this new model. How's that journey been? You're, I know you're not going to say like, we got to figure it out. Right. Right. 
So the crazy part, this was all just a fixed treehouse. You know, we weren't building a product or Mm -hmm. anything. Um, And uh, the last piece of that, before I explain what happened next, is we realized, oh, we have a pretty much a white culture here. It's not bad. It's just what it is what it is. And if you're black or brown or or you're a woman, you're not going to feel really included here. So we actually had to start training ourselves mm-hmm. on how to be inclusive, and that's a big long process. But and did you guys um, get some external? We did. Yep, okay. we got some help from an, uh, a couple amazing companies in Portland to train us, and then we started building our own training because we realized we have to scale this to the whole company. Mm-hmm. We can't just have a couple people go through this course. So then, uh, as soon as this program worked, I just had this you know light bulb moment oh my gosh, we could plug this into other companies. This is a system that actually could work anywhere in America. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why I believe that is because in the pilot, we got Nike and Envision to say yes okay. to hiring students from the pilot program in addition to us. Hmm. So we had three hiring partners. So I knew this could work in other companies. And so as soon as I realized that you could take this program, it's called Talent Path, and plug it into any company in America, in any city, I realized wow, this is our B2B product and this is the way we truly change lives. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started telling, you know, executives about the idea and said, you know, all you have to do is say yes. You just make it happen. Yeah. If you really want to create a diverse team and you aren't hiring enough engineers, we actually have a solution. Mm -hmm. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it actually works. And so we started going to companies and then we started getting yes after yes after yes. It was, it was wild. So MailChimp, Nike, Envision, Adobe, MindBody, Chegg, Acquia, and then a bunch of other big companies I can't say yet. Sure. So it was really fascinating how... This is pretty recent? You, this is recent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and within the last year. Okay. And so we really have changed from a consumer company to a B2B company because that's how we can achieve our mission. We're we're going to change lives through companies funding that. Right. And every, you know, I mentioned to you, I run a series of kind of conferences and events and every HR lead or recruiter I talk to, this is like their biggest pain point. Yeah. No one can solve this. Right. I mean, it is, it is cataclysmic, you know, um, brutal. I mean, we have a massive talent shortage and not only, is it bad? It's terrible when you talk about hiring underrepresented talent. I mean, I'm working with a company right now that has a thousand software engineers. They have 12 black developers, 12. They had a class of a hundred interns last year. One was black. Mm. I mean, the system is designed to screen people out that aren't white. And it's not because the system is inherently racist. It's, it's that it's been built up over time by people who are white mm-hmm. Because it works for them. Sure. So what we realize is you, if you create a new talent path, you really do get amazing, um, you know, hardworking, gritty, loyal, smart, you know, kind talent. Mm-hmm. And it actually comes from your neighborhood. Right. And it's sustainable because they stay longer because they want to mentor incoming apprentices. So this system is the future of education. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just really don't need college degrees at this point, nor do you want them. I mean, why would you go get a college degree and and go a hundred thousand dollars in debt and 
and not earn any income for four years. Right. Trust me, Ryan. My <laughs> wife and I look at our college, uh, your student loan, you know, statements. It's like, right. we don't want our son to have this. Right, and right. so we're uh, on board with that. So, so this B2B product sounds like it's kind of the next wave of growth for you guys. You're, right. you're 10, 10 years in to this? Uh, we're eight years in. Eight years in. It feels in. like 20, but yeah. And eight. you mentioned you did get some uh, investment. I don't know if you guys, uh, I'm always interested, and this is a big topic here in Portland, just getting an investment in Portland as a company. Yeah, I know you guys moved here, but mm-hmm. companies that are starting to get that initial investment, how are you in that community here yeah. for, for other newer early stage companies I, and, and advice for them? Maybe. Yeah. I always encourage companies to get funding from their customers first. Yeah. So, um, I always tell entrepreneurs that, um, the venture capital, dream is really a nightmare for most people. Mm-hmm. It's a dream. If you're a happen to be a hockey stick unicorn, it really isn't suitable for most companies. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that you can't build a big company. Um, I, what I mean is that there aren't that many companies that can be unicorn hockey stick type companies. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of optimizing for an outcome that most companies will never see. Mm-hmm. So instead I believe founders should be trying to build a company that solves a real problem for a real customer and is funded by that customer. And then if you figure that out, then go raise money. But we've got it backwards. I think this idea of raising seed money before you even know if you have product market fit is backwards. Yeah, I interviewed, I don't know if you know Rand Fishkin. Yeah, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he just wrote a book kind of all about that. Mm. And he just lays it all out in his last company. um, Moz. Yeah, Moz, and kind of the lessons learned about right. that model. Um, so it's refreshing to hear entrepreneurs like yourself and him kind of talk yeah. about that. And I think we should um, not allow um, others to speak down to us and say, you know, your method of building a business is somehow not as good, you mm-hmm. know, is is not as aggressive, is is not as meaningful. It, it's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think you can, if you look at any big business that has lasted, it's, driven by founders who are still there because they're passionate about it. Um, and they fundamentally solve a problem for customers. And I think we should aim for longer term outcomes Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and, and not be optimizing for liquidity events. Sure. Well, a couple more things I want to talk to you about. I know (laughs) we were talking before this is something, uh, a couple years that had happened, but and it's in the news again, it's just about this like shorter compressed work week mm. and how you guys kind of, um, you know, experimented with that. Mm. Uh, could you mind kind of yeah, talking sure. a little bit about that? It's- yeah. So we tried, um, the 32 hour work week for quite a long time, actually 10 years from 2006 to 2016. Um, so my wife and I have been running companies since 2004. Um, and so we thought in 2006, wait a minute, who said you have to work 40 hour week, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just her and I. Okay. Um, and so we, we switched to not working on Fridays. Um, and it was really fun and interesting and, and great. Um, and then we eventually hired a first employee. We said, surprise, we don't work Fridays, but we still pay you, you know, a full salary. And they thought it was a trick, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we did that for a long time. And, it has massive benefits and massive drawbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do think there is a certain reality to getting work done. And I think um, I found myself being held back by the 32 hour work week. Hmm. And I, I felt like 
you know, I have huge ambitions for Treehouse, and you know, I want to change as many lives as I possibly can, and that means I want to work forty hours a week. You know, in fact, I want to work more. Yeah. Um, and so we just had to make a decision. Um, and looking back, you know, I think maybe some sort of optimal model is like what Basecamp does. They have you know a normal work week and then during summers they kind of take some time off Mm -hmm. something like that might be more sustainable um, but it's really hard to unwind it once you instantiate it so um i am i mean i work like 65 hours a week now i love it Mm -hmm. it's great but i don't sacrifice my family right so i wake up at 4 30 a.m i work till 6 30 and you know then i have family time from 6 30 to 8 30 and then i work hard from 6 30 to uh, from 8 30 to 6 you know, and, and I can get a lot done. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You just learn a lot as you grow mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur and, and, um, that experiment didn't really work out long term. Sure. And okay every company's different, right? So yeah. it's not a blanket thing for each. And yep. last thing I want to talk about, and this is, uh, usually the last question I ask is just, you know, about Portland kind of, mm-hmm. I always like to say the star of the show here for a lot of companies. Um, what do you think the future, you know, of this city is for, companies in general and entrepreneurs and pros and cons where are we going uh, we're growing obviously population wise but love to get your thoughts on yeah that. i'm really bullish on portland um i think that we have um creativity and social consciousness and um and you know a beautiful location and access you know, to San Francisco and Seattle. And I think we have it all. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe there are going to be a lot of companies built here that have long-term conscientious missions. And I think we'll end up as a better city for it. Um, so I'm really excited about that. You know, and a lot of my friends from Silicon Valley are moving here. Um, I think there's massive gentrification happening, which is brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a part of that. And I admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'm hoping we can combat that with things like our talent path program mm-hmm. where we, we start empowering the people in these neighborhoods to, to work here right. and participate in the wealth and mm-hmm. not get pushed out. Sure. Um, but I think it's, all these things are good. And, um, I think there's plenty of access to capital if you build a, a business that's funded by your customers first. And um, and we should kind of put our shoulders back and be proud of what we have here. Yeah. Well, Ryan, thanks for everything you guys do. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruden, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or 